0: All right, let's make our way back to our seats this morning. Let's make our way back to our seats. All right. Well, we're going to spend just a few more minutes together um, as a part of our service. I don't know about you, but I was sitting there like, um, I think that's all the Bible study we needed this morning. So that was definitely, um, it was definitely a good word. And it was definitely, it's interesting. It was a good perspective, I believe, for us to have, for us to view. Um, this place, the season that the Lord is having us go into. Just that the Lord would use this place. This place that wherever, wherever, where all the other businesses around us are office spaces, this place that the Lord um, calls a church. It's good to have that perspective. And so thank you, Pastor Rob. Um, if I'm ever gone on a Sunday, I think you guys want him back, right? So. Yeah. All right, so I think I'm going to take next week off, so um, come back. Um, real quick, those of you that are looking for or, you know, when, when you're a part of Calvary Chapel, looking for that, what, what really is our gold standard, which or what we're known for, which is expository teaching, uh, just want to let you guys know that next Sunday morning, we're going to head back to Second um, Samuel and pick up where we... Left off uh, several weeks ago. But this morning, just real quickly, if you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to 1 John chapter 1? 1 John chapter 1. And then also, would you leave something over in Ecclesiastes chapter 4? 1 John chapter 1 and Ecclesiastes chapter 4. All right. This morning, I want to prove to you guys that God answers prayer. Okay, I mean, I have literal proof for you guys that God takes your prayers and he answers them. You know, some of you guys might, you know, you hear studies about God answers prayers or whatever, but I have evidence, I have proof that God answers prayers. And this is why I know that there have been times where some of you have been here, been in church, been in service, And you've prayed a prayer that sounds something like this. Lord, help Randolph not to go long this morning. Help Randolph to keep it short this morning. Let me tell you this morning, because of everything going on, the Lord is going to answer your prayer. So I have evidence, okay? Or I could be a liar and go for an hour. You never know, but I just really... Um, since time doesn't allow us this morning to teach a full message, I want to revisit our theme from last week and offer up a word of encouragement to you guys. If you were with us last Sunday morning, we were in 1 John chapter 1, taking a look at what true fellowship is and what true fellowship is not. We mentioned last week that this word fellowship Fellowship is used there in 1 John chapter 1 four times. Would you go with me over there very quickly? 1 John chapter 1. And I want you guys to notice that two times this word fellowship is used to describe our relationship with others. Take a look at verse 3 with me. It says, That which we've seen and heard, and we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And so God's word is very clear that this word fellowship has to do with our relationship with other people, with other Christians. Jump with me over to verse 7 this morning. It says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with who? With one another. And so two times here in 1 John chapter 1, we see that this word fellowship is used to describe our relationship with Others. Now, I mentioned the word fellowship was used four times here in chapter one. That's because the other two times that this word fellowship is used here in chapter one, it's used to describe our relationship or our fellowship with God. To take a look at the end of verse three with me very quickly, it says, Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Now jump a middle to verse 6 this morning. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So we see that God's word is very clear that this word fellowship not only has to do with each other, which is how we typically use the word, or how we typically see fellowship, we see that God's word is very clear that you and I, we have fellowship with God. Now, what does this word fellowship mean? If you're taking notes this morning, would you write this down very quickly? In the Greek, this word fellowship, it's the word koinonia, which we've all heard before. And it speaks of communion, partnership, or sharing in. So according to our text, if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down, a Christian is called to experience fellowship or communion or the sharing of life together with other Christians. But secondly, a Christian, a believer, a follower of Christ is first and foremost created to be in communion and to share in a life and in eternal life with God. I think it's important to note this morning that fellowship with God will always supersede our fellowship with others. If there was some sort of fellowship pecking order, it's always my fellowship with God which lays the foundation for my fellowship with others. This is what I'm trying to say this morning. The ultimate partnership or the one that I must be doing life with first needs to always be Jesus. Jesus. You see, we always hear Christians talk about, oh, I'm looking for fellowship or I'm a part of this fellowship. But the fellowship must start The communion, the partnership, whatever you want to refer to it as, the sharing in must start first with Jesus. Look at the end of verse 3. John writes, truly our fellowship, truly our partnership, truly our union, truly our togetherness, our sharing in life. He says it's with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Before I can expect to find true fellowship, or before I can expect to do life, which is, you know, kind of a very Christian thing to say, right? I want to do life with other people. Before I can find true fellowship or do life with others, I must be in relationship with the one, listen, listen, that the Bible refers to as the word of life. So we try and go around, I want to do life. I want to find someone to do life with. I want to find someone to experience that closeness with, that communion with. Well, the Bible says, according to, take a look at verse one with me. It says that Jesus is the word of life. And then in verse two, it says, Jesus, the one who is the life, was manifested. And then in verse two, it says, we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I don't know if you get the point this morning, but I hope you do. Jesus is life, the word of life. Through Jesus, we come to eternal life. We're told that the life was manifest to us. So we want to do life. We want to find somewhere to go or find someone with whom I can do life with. Give me your eye for a moment, church. I would encourage you. Doing life only starts with doing life with Jesus. Jesus. You see, doing life in any other situation, doing life in any other circumstance, trying to do life apart from the word of life, it's just a bowling league. That's just your swim team or your little league. I mean, we get into these groups and we're like, we're doing life. But take away Jesus from it. You're nothing more than beer buddies or bar buddies or whatever you want to refer to it as. Jesus. Jesus is the one that we are first and foremost called to do life with. Now, as we try to do life together, one of the things that I see and I believe that sometimes can become a danger is that our, in, in our attempt to do life with other people and, and be in fellowship with other people, sometimes we forget or we neglect our personal time with the Lord, to do life with Jesus, to do life with the word of life. What John is saying here is he's saying true fellowship is with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So maybe you come to church, or maybe you heard about our dedication service, or maybe someone invited you. And maybe the thought was, the mentality was, man, That's great. I need some place to find fellowship. Let me say this this morning. It starts with finding fellowship in Jesus. And then the Lord brings about fellowship with others. When I was 14 years old, I experienced true fellowship for the first time. Prior to my freshman year in high school, church, God, Jesus was about showing up to a building once a week. And when I got to that building, I would stand up, kneel down, I'd say a few prayers, I'd sit down. I'd put in my religious time. I went through the religious duty. I went through the religious motions. And right about 14 years old, I remember leaving church. I I was okay with it up to that point going through the routine and not thinking about it at all. But around 14, I remember leaving church so frustrated. I remember I would go and think there has to be something more than just showing up. I would look at my dad's life, and and one of the things about my dad is he was a heavy alcoholic. And so I remember my dad being home, and, and he was... He he wasn't life of the party alcoholic. He was aggressive, mean, let's fight alcoholic, abusive alcoholic. I love my dad, by the way, so I'm I'm just sharing this as part part of my story. But I remember looking at him, and I remember having this mentality growing up that as long as we showed up for that one hour on Sunday, it didn't matter how you lived the rest of the week. I mean, some of us have been through that life, right? As long as you show up on Sunday, as long as you go through the routine. But I remember watching my dad and thinking to myself, this doesn't make sense. As long as we show up for this one hour every Sunday, our Monday through Friday, our Monday through Saturday could look like we're going to hell. It could look like just chaotic and full of rage and anger and it just, it didn't make sense. We used to live two houses down from the church that we attended. And I remember after service, or after that morning time of going to church, the priest would come to our house around one o'clock, church was over, and the priest would drink with my dad in the front yard. They would pop a couple beers together. And I remember looking at this guy who represented God to me, this guy who represented religion to me, And I remember looking and and just having such a hatred toward him. You're endorsing, you're supporting, you're engaging with the very thing that I hate about my dad. I love everything else about the man, and I desire nothing but a relationship with this man. But the one thing that I hate about him, the guy who represented God, he's in the front yard doing that. And I knew by Sunday night what got the ball rolling with the man of God would eventually lead to rage and anger and possibly me having to go in the room because my dad and my mom were gonna, my, he was gonna be a little aggressive with her and he didn't want us to see it. And so there I was, 14 years old now, just almost anti-church, anti-God, just bitter, knowing in my heart that showing up, to church once a week and putting in my dues wasn't what this whole God religion thing is all about. And so I went on a search. And eventually that search led me to Calvary Chapel South Bay in the youth ministry. And when I was there, for the first time, Bible study, church, whatever you wanna refer to this as, for the first time for me, it didn't sound like a bunch of sit down, stand up, in the middle of the, and, 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 and then on top of that, my dad would also take me to Spanish service every once in a while. So I really was not getting anything out of going. But for the first time, the word of God was communicated to me in a way in which I understood. And for the first time, the gospel was presented to me and Jesus, who is the word of life, Jesus, the one who is eternal life, my salvation, the message was taught to me clearly, and I came to know Christ as my Savior. The reason I'm sharing that with you guys this morning was because prior to that moment, I had good church attendance. Prior to that moment, I had church friends Prior to that moment, I participated in the church sacraments and went through all the religious routines, and yet I had been missing out on what true fellowship is, which was fellowship with God. I had been going through religion, and for the first time, someone presented to me in a way that was clear, in a way that was concise, in a way that was articulate, someone presented to me that the Lord loved me, that he came and dwelt among us as a man and gave his life for me. And it was presented to me that he desires relationship with me. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. For the first time at 14 years old, I entered into fellowship with God. A relationship with him and the reason I share that with you guys is because that fellowship my fellowship with God laid the foundation for every other relationship or fellowship that would come into my life after before that point I thought man I had good relationships And yet the Lord showed me, it wasn't until I came into fellowship with him that I could experience true fellowship with others. Let me say this this morning. Would you give me your eye for a moment, church? My prayer for this place, my prayer for us going forward, is yes, that you would come and find family, like the flyer said, My prayer is that as you come, that you would find your group, your community, your life, people do. I mean, I I pray you would find all that, yes. But first and foremost, I pray that the thing that would drive us, I pray that the thing that would motivate us, I pray that the thing when we wake up on Sunday morning and say, man, I'm going to church, I pray that it would always be that the excitement would always be not about the building, not about who we get to see, not about if my friends are going to be there, not about, oh, it's Pastor Rob the guest speaker. Prayerfully, he is. Whatever it might be, I pray that it, the, the excitement, the joy, would always be fellowship with Christ. And then everything else is just a cherry on top. All the other things are just all the fixings along the side, but that the thing that I would hunger for, what I would desire most about coming to church, would be fellowship with God. Through praising him through a lyric and a song, through sitting and receiving clear biblical teaching, or the word that Pastor Rob used, instruction, I pray that that would be what we first and foremost always, always desire when we gather together. And when we desire that and when we find that with Christ, oh my goodness, the fellowship with others is just sweet. The fellowship with others, it's just something that you could never experience out there in this world. It doesn't matter, like I said earlier, doesn't matter what group you join, no matter what event you participate in, no matter what club you know you hop into and sign up for, when you experience fellowship with Jesus, he opens up the door for fellowship with others that you could not imagine. You know the friendships that have come along my way since I was 14, and found fellowship with Christ. The relationships I mentioned earlier, God sending a pastor my way, sending best friends my way, ministry partners, a bride, a bride that I would have never met if it wasn't for my fellowship with Jesus. The point this morning is everything that our life consists of is built around this one simple thing, fellowship with Jesus. And if we miss out on that, or if we're trying to look for something else apart from that, man, we set the tone for a life that's foundation is faulty, a foundation that's fluid. Let me say this this morning. It leads me to one more thought. Fellowship, koinonia, has always been a biblical theme. And I know that some of us here this morning so desire it, so crave it. I mentioned a moment ago this word fellowship, koinonia. It's almost become a buzzword in Christianity. I feel like there's so many Christians who are on a search for fellowship, search on, on a search for community, out of search for a group of people to do life with. So as Christians, we bounce from friend group to friend group, trying to find it. We bounce from one home fellowship and and attend a different home fellowship, trying to find it. We bounce from one Christian circle to another Christian circle, all in search of, is there anyone out there for me to do life with? I pray that through our ministry, I pray that even through this church, that the Lord would provide, the Lord would open the door for you to find community, if that's what your heart desires. I pray that through our church, through our ministry, God would open up the door for you to find that life group, if that's what's in your heart. I pray that God would open up the door and Flood into your life those people that you so desperately desire to find Koinonia with. But let me say this this morning, without each member of the group, also in fellowship with God, a life group or a community group is no different than a social group. Take away Jesus out of the group, and it's nothing more than a group. You see, Christ has to be the center of the life group or it's just a group. I want to finish this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter four. I pray you're there. Ecclesiastes chapter four. And I want to spend our last few moments together talking about the benefits of finding fellowship with God and God leading us to find true fellowship With others. As most of us know, Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. Solomon had begun to see everything, the one who Solomon, the guy who had experienced everything there was in life to experience. Everything was before him, and everything was at his disposal, he'd begin to have this feeling that there was nothing for him left in life. Once you're at the top, once you have it all, is there anything beyond that? And in verse 7 here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he says, he sees a man. He says in verse 7, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Verse 8, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So Solomon sees this man, this man's alone. This man is living his life like he's living on an island apart from everyone else. We're told that he doesn't have family. He says that he neither has son nor brother. We see that the only thing he has going on in his life, we're told that there's no end to his toil. His life is consumed in work. We're also told that his eyes were not content with his wealth, and so along the way, his work has provided great wealth for him. Wealth that would satisfy just about any man, and yet for this particular man, it did not satisfy we're told that he finally asked the question, why am I doing this? Why do I wake up every morning? For why do I exist? Specifically, his question was, for whom am I toiling? If today's my last day, I have no brother, I have no son, I have no friends. I have no fellowship. I have no one to leave this to. He asks another question. He says in verse eight, why am I depriving myself of enjoyment. I work so hard to build that I do not get to enjoy life. I do not get to enjoy the companionship that comes with life. I do not get to enjoy the bond that comes through family, through blood. He came to a point in his life where he says, Man, the life, notice something in the verse 8, the life that I'm living, this too is meaningless a miserable business or some of your bibles might say a miserable existence now let me say this to us this morning some of us are here and some of us may even possibly relate with this man this man who's chosen to live his life in isolation This man that's chosen to put career before anything else, money, wealth. How about this? Even this thing had become his idol. He put his idol before anything else. He'd taken what should have been worship to God, and now he's worshiping stuff, life, building more, accumulating. And Solomon sees all this and he says, it's meaningless meaningless and it's interesting as we go into verse 9 Solomon makes the statement after observing this man who lived alone and he said these words verse 9 he says two are better than one two are better than one this morning would you give me your eyes for a moment church as you come and find fellowship with God, I pray that you would also stay because two are better than one. As you find fellowship with God, relationship with God, I pray that you would also see church as a place where two are better than one, where friendship, where fellowship with others, where we would see that there's a value there's a value to companionship. There's a value to koinonia. There's a value. There's a value to not being alone. Notice the value in verse 9. It says, because they have a good return for their labor. And so we're given four reasons why two are better than one. First reason is they have a good return for their labor. This is what it means. It means that when there's a task to be completed, when there's a labor that needs to happen, it's always better to have two than one. Unless the one is a horrible worker, right? I mean, unless he's just a bum, two is always better than one. If we have to clean the church, you know, I would love for someone to come and help clean the church. We can double it up. This morning as I was driving here and, and thinking about taking all those tables from that room right there, out there, my goodness, when Eli showed up, I was like, oh, two is definitely better than one. And I was like, and if God wants us send three, that'd be even better. But I mean, sure, that thought of carrying all the tables down or the waters down, just in life, there are things, that are just better because two are better than one. Spiritually speaking, Pastor Rob mentioned the gospel being presented, the community here in Torrents coming to the Lord, even in evangelism and mission work, two are always better than one. Verse 10, it says, if either of them falls, one can help the other up. And so if one happens to be somewhere and they fall down, they twist their ankle, you're on a hike and you're in the middle of nowhere, obviously two are better than one. There's no cell phone service. Two are obviously better than one. Now some of us might say, well, Randolph, you don't look like you go on hikes. I I, I recognize that. Well, let's take it somewhere else in life. When you're in life, and you fall, it's hard. The intensity of life picks up its pace, and the enemy comes after you. If one falls, one can help the other up. I think one of the ways in which the enemy really gets a hold of the Christian or the church is the enemy loves to isolate, and then someone falls, and there's no phone call, there's no text message. There's no, "Hey, where you been?" No one recognizes that someone's fallen because that person has been living alone. You see, two are better than one. Verse 11, "If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone?" There's something warm when it comes to two are better than one. The other night, Nathan and I went out to eat with a group of guys and we were all in the parking lot after and it was actually pretty windy, pretty cold and I just had a t-shirt on, Nathan my son had his jacket on and so in the parking lot I came from behind Nathan and I just, I started hugging him and, you know, the guys that were with me probably thinking, man, Randolph's a great dad. Look at, look, look at the bond he has with his son. You know, he just can't keep his arms off his son. I mean, he must be really in love with the kid. No, I was just trying to stay warm. It was very breezy. I was like, ooh, my, my, my cuddle. You know, he's my Snuggie. You know, I, I, I'm sitting there in the parking lot and I'm holding him. There's something about two where the warm, the warmness comes together. They keep each other warm. Even in the spiritual realm, there's something about two that brings fire, that brings warmness. I don't know about you, but for me, when I go through seasons of of withdrawal, when I go through seasons of isolating myself, it is hard to stay on fire for the Lord even in the spiritual sense, I need companionship, fellowship. Others, they keep me warm. They keep me on fire for the Lord. And then in verse 12, we tie it all together. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. This is the last of those four that I was saying. So here, now that we're in torrents, the Lord's, um, prior to being here, I've never had a I haven't really had an office since I left South Bay. I can't get any work done at home. During the pandemic, you know, things were closing very early. And so on Saturday nights, as I'm wrapping up my Sunday message, I really haven't had anywhere to go for the past year, except my kitchen table. And, you know, to the left is a refrigerator, and in front of me there's a TV. And it's just its not the best place to to try and put together a study. And so when the Lord opened up the door here for... For myself and for our church to finally have a a place for us, I came here one night, and I must have been here till about 11 o'clock. And I remember going down the stairs, the parking it's pitch black, fully dark parking lot, completely empty. And I remember that walk to my truck. I remember thinking to myself, I I, I know Pastor Rob told me Torrance is just the most wonderful place in the world, but it's still pretty dark out here. And I remember just being scared to walk to the truck like, what is so, you know, I'm, I'm looking and, and two are better than one. So a couple weeks later, I happened to not have my study finished. And I was like, man, I'm going to head to the church. I, I, I need to get this finished up. I'm not able to focus here at home. And I happened to be on the phone with Anthony that night. And, and I said, hey, you want to you, you, you study with me? And, and what I meant by study was, Um, I'm going to go focus on this. You stay quiet, but, you know, I'll let you be next to me. And so I was like, you want to go study with me? And so we came here like at 11 o'clock that night. And we were here till a little bit past midnight, and I was able to finish and wrap up my notes. But what I didn't tell Anthony was the real reason I invited him to come study with me that night was because I didn't want to walk to my car by myself after. (laughs) So he probably felt special, like, wow, the pastor wants to hang out with me on a Saturday night pastor's trying to get me to help him with his Bible study notes. I'm like, homie, I just, I, I just need a valet, you know, I, 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 I need a security guard. I get scared in the dark, you know. I, two are better than one, though one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. Some of you might be thinking to yourself, wow, I would have picked somebody a little bit more stronger than Anthony. But anyways, you know, for them to defend themselves. But lastly, a three or a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You guys can close your Bibles. We're done this morning. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A lot of people use this for their wedding, you know, they have their little handouts, Uh, you know, I think, Christine and I, this was our theme verse for our wedding, but the reality is, picture it like this, two are better than one, and when you put the Lord in there to make the cords, a strand of three, it's even stronger, it's not broken. My prayer this morning for us as a church is that we would desire fellowship with God, fellowship with others. And within that fellowship, a cord of three strands would be woven together. But I'll tell you, take the Lord out, that strand, that cord is quickly broken. Put the Lord into the relationship And the three, you, your friend, the Lord, everybody in a right relationship with Christ, that strand is not quickly broken. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for such a wonderful, such a beautiful, such a glorious morning. I pray that the things that were spoken the things that were talked about, the, the words that were taught from this, from, from this pulpit, from the stage, that, Lord, that there was, I pray for every single one, that there was something in there. God, that there was either a verse, a quote, a statement, that there was something that your Spirit said to each and every one of us individually this morning, that was for you that was a word for you. That was for you to apply. That was for you to hold on to. I pray that each of us this morning would be able to walk out and that we would be able to say, Lord, that was from you. And so, Lord, we bless you. We thank you. God, we're excited for what you're gonna do and for what you are doing presently. I pray that you would just take this place and that you would use it for your glory, for your fame. That, God, there would only be one name lifted up in this place, and that would be the name of Jesus. That there would only become one who's famous in this place, and that is the name of Jesus. That there would only be one who people come to meet with and fellowship with, and that would be the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, to you be the glory. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.